0: This is the Bigger Pockets podcast show 420.
1: I got this crazy opportunity. I was buying a single family home and the lady happened to have a pocket listing for 10 duplexes on one street and I didn't have the money to get it done. And before I would have let that limit me be like, oh, that would have been an amazing deal if I had the money. But then I realized it doesn't matter how much money I have in my pocket. How can I get this deal done? You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real
2: estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to
0: join the millions of others who have benefited from biggerpockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets Podcast, here with my co host, Mr. David Green. David, it is almost time for the new year it's almost 2021 right what are your uh what's your what's your plans you got some big goals in mind
2: yeah this is the time of year when i actually start planning for the next year because mm-hmm. as we talked about with our guests it, you make it easier on yourself when you come up with like i pave the roadway before you start the journey so was that I've an analogy kind of
0: that was a good analogy oh, i guess it was, was yeah i couldn't help oh, myself no, It's good it's Thank good you. man it's, uh, i yeah you know, um, people play drinking games i'm sure to your analogies and it's great it's
2: great oh that's funny i wonder if, if anyone does that you should comment on about instagram i would like to see it if there's a david
0: green analogy they would be, no they would be dead they yeah. would be dead it just alcohol poisoning would kill them at the end of like the, the introduction of the show so.
2: i feel like analogies have become the new rural remember when you and rural. josh had that thing going yeah, on for a while yeah, i
0: couldn't say it i still can't say it whatever rural. yeah anyway. we keep
2: up the pace a little faster than you and josh mm. used to i think but so. there's still inside jokes in there there you go. so yeah anyway the goal for my real estate team we're gonna try to double our sales of what we did in 2020 so Whoa. gearing up to try to sell Didn't you like million double for
0: 2021 2020- 20, I tripled in 2020. Yeah, like it's been going, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to double again. Okay, whatever. Yeah, it's fine.
2: This is why planning is so important, you know, because like if you're doing what everything that you can be doing, you should expect to be successful. And I feel like in, in your subconscious, if you expect, I'm going to go get a deal, I'm going to go write offers. I'm expecting one of them to be accepted. Therefore, I need to plan for yeah. what property management software I'm going to use, where I'm going to get my loan from, things like that. I just think it really, really helps getting your own psychology working with you to accomplish your goals as opposed to constantly fighting these fears of like what could go wrong.
0: That's so good, man. It reminds me of that phrase like work until your success isn't a surprise. I really like that a lot. A wise man once said that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he did. I I actually don't know who said that, but I I say that now. I'm sure I heard it somewhere. But uh, yeah, work until your success isn't a surprise, which means like you shouldn't be like, wow, I tripled my... No, you, you had a goal. You planned on that you work toward it you work backwards from what it looked like and then you achieve your goal and you're like great i did it like not that it's not awesome but it shouldn't be a surprise because surprises are that's like a i won the
2: lottery point yeah. yes you weren't expecting to do it now that doesn't mean you first start that you should not you're going to be disappointed several times as you're getting yeah. going but that's why you're working you work until you hit that point where you're like yeah I, I had metrics in place we hit our metrics i put things in place to make sure we did and we accomplished our goal so it is possible Everybody, absolutely.
0: All right. With that said, let's get to today's quick hey, tip tip. Hey, David, there's a, an important holiday coming up in the next couple of days. You know what it is? What would it be, Brandon? Well, actually, I think it's today. Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving for everyone listening to this today on the day it comes out, which means besides the fact that we're all stuffing our face with turkey and cranberries and all mm-hmm. that today, it means that tomorrow... Is a national American holiday, Black Friday, and <laughs> I don't know if that it's going to be someday. Uh, which means big savings around bigger pockets. It's a Black Friday sale going on. It's basically it's our we're doing the biggest book sale of the year. We do it every year. We do a huge book sale, thirty to forty percent off books, including paper book, eBooks, and audiobooks. Uh, and the intention journal that I put together, people love that thing. Magazine subscriptions, free shipping on everything, and David Green will come to your house and give you a back rub if you buy one of his books. So just go to BiggerPockets.
2: Best back rub you've ever had, to be honest.
0: (laughs) Just go to biggerpockets.com slash store between November 27th and November 30th. And these discounts will apply automatically. Again, biggerpockets.com slash store.
3: This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit enreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot com slash B-P-P-O-D. And now I think we're ready to jump into this episode. David, you
0: ready?
2: Yeah, let's do it. I love today's show.
0: All right. So today's show is a guest named David Grabener. David was a, you're going to hear a story, but basically he started investing from thousands and thousands and thousands of miles away, about as far away as you could possibly get from where he was investing and had some really massive success he's had over the last several years. And you're going to learn how he's done that uh, using what we call in the show, sweet spot apartment complexes. You're going to learn about how he finds these, how he finances them. He talks a lot about how to manage these properties and why they're difficult, but why that's where the money is to be found in today's market and in the future market so you're gonna learn all these uh, these mid-sized apartment buildings today and a lot more so without further ado let's get into the show with david grabener david welcome to the bigger pockets podcast man good to have you here
1: thank you so much for having me it's a real honor
0: oh thanks man we gotta be uh we gotta be careful today we got two davids so i'm gonna call david green here baby beard and we'll call you oh, <laughs> normal beard there. and we'll, we'll be all good It'll be a good show. Uh, so tell us about yourself. I mean, how'd you get into real estate? What'd you do before that? I know you kind of had an interesting uh, background.
1: Yeah. So before I became the DIY underscore landlord on Instagram and mm-hmm. had all my multifamily properties, I was just a hospital administrator working in the Democratic Republic of Congo in Africa. <laughs> just like
0: <laughs> just like everyone else. I mean, it's a normal story. Yeah. Okay.
1: Exactly. And I had this crazy idea that I wanted to become financially independent and but i didn't have any money and i was only making like 54,000 a year and i had four kids no two kids and two of us so four in the family yeah and i was like how am i going to do it
0: yeah hospital hospital administrator to in in africa in in, in the Repo- republic of congo am i saying that right democratic, democratic
1: republic of congo yeah okay. is
0: that kind of like united states of america but you can shorten it just by saying america or it'd be weird to say congo is that well weird? there's
1: two congos oh. so you can't just say congo oh okay there's the Republic of Congo and the Democratic Republic of Congo. So it's very...
0: All right. So you were yeah. in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Why Why there? I mean, what, did you grow up there?
1: I grew up as a missionary kid. So okay. I grew up in Zambia. I went to high school in Kenya. And then I met my wife, who's from Argentina in Kenya. We yeah. got married. Her parents had a hospital in the Congo, and they asked us to come work there.
0: Ah, Very cool. My brother-in-law is uh, Kenyan from Kenya. so.
1: Oh, awesome. Uh, I've not
0: been there, but it is, oh. it is in the works at some point. So... I hear that's
1: cool. You need to go. Kenya yeah. is amazing. That's what I hear.
0: All right. So how did you get from there to now? You, you live in the States now, right? In the yes, you, I do. All right. In the United States of America. And because <laughs> uh, I say America, they could be South America. I don't know. But you live in you live in America now. So to walk us through that journey, you went from hospital. What was your first kind of foray into uh, real estate investing?
1: So when I was over there, I was like, okay, I need to buy, invest in real estate, but I couldn't use my income because all my income was from over there, so no one could verify it. So I had a lot of disadvantages, but as Brandon always said, you need to look at your advantages. So I, I was that? like, what advantage so. do I have? Sounds, you say it all the time okay, on good. pockets. Okay, that sounds good. And I'll claim it, it means a lot.
0: I'll take it, I'll take it. It's, it's probably one of those things that David says, and then everyone just says that I say it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take credit. It's okay.
1: <laughs> uh, so my advantage was I had a dad who lived in the States and had some income yep. that could be used to get loans. Yeah. And he's also a great partner to work with and we get along really well. And not everyone has a parent who they can work with, but I happen to have one of those that I do have yeah. that I can work with. So we partnered up and we bought a quadplex. We put like 50, 50 down payment, 25% down, bought the quadplex. And then just like started going from there. Hey, this is working. Let's save up a bunch of more money and buy another duplex. Let's save up a bunch of other money and buy another quadplex. And we did that all the way to 24 units. Really? In about three years.
0: Wow. Okay. So I want to I unpack this a little bit. First of all, there are people who right now, I, I, I'm going to call some people out listening to this. They're going to go, well, sure must be nice to have a you know super rich family that can just give you money, right? So first of all, I'm, I'm, I don't I don't know your family state, but I'm assuming they're not just super rich loaded, right? No. So, but more importantly is I would encourage people to ask like that are thinking that right now, it like, must be nice to have a family that can just partner with you or something like that is, and this is the unfair advantage thing that we talk about all the time. It's like, everybody has something, everybody has something that they're unfairly advantaged in. Uh, and so if you spend your whole life, going, Oh, must be nice. Must be nice to have this. Must be nice to have that. Like you'll never get anywhere. Like you just, people get sucked into that. Must be nice. Uh, somebody told me the other day that some, some real estate guy has a t-shirt he sells that just says must be nice because of that same thing. <laughs> like, yeah, like people, no. are, yeah, it's crazy.
1: My dad was a missionary, like working as a missionary his whole life. <laughs> when I was growing up, my loaded, parents were making six hundred dollars a month. Woo!
0: Yeah, that's six hundred dollars right
1: a month. That's how we grow up living off. Like he yeah. didn't have money set aside. I mean, he had a tiny little bit that he had saved up, yeah. but it wasn't like he had all this money. We just like we're going in this together. We're putting all our money in in one basket and let's go. Yeah,
0: that's that's awesome. So so walk us through that very first one. I mean, like let me even go back from there. You call your your father and you're like, all right hear me out. I got this crazy idea. I know I live over here and you're over there, but we're going to make millions. I mean, how how did you approach it with him? What what was your logic there? So,
1: yeah. So I was like, okay, yeah, I've been reading these books here. Check out this book. Hey, check out Bigger Pockets. They have an awesome podcast. I've been listening to the podcast, like check out all these things. And he's like, he was interested in real estate too. He's like, yeah, we could do this. And I had developed this little Excel spreadsheet. And I was like, listen, if we buy for this and this, we're going to make 20% cash on cash return. Yeah. And he said, that's what Warren Buffett makes. And I said, I don't know what Warren Buffett makes, but I know we're making 20% cash on cash return. Yep. <laughs> uh, he's awesome. like, you sure? I was like, yeah, if we buy it for this and we do this. And then he started looking at the number. He's like, yeah, we could probably make a 20% return on this. That's cool. And, and just scale from there.
0: All right. So you started, you, you pitched him. He's like, all right, I'm into it. Which by the way, I think is a, is a good way there there is a thing, and David, I would love your thoughts on this because you're really big into the disc profile stuff, but there's like ways to pitch people that appeal to certain types of people. Like some people love that like like you can make a you know X amount return on investment. They'd be like, Yeah, that's right. And other people you'd be like, you could retire five years earlier and that would like really appeal to that person. Or you could, you know, work a few hours every week, so you spend more time with your family. That would appeal to other people. So I find it interesting just when you're pitching potential partners to think about like what what drives them, what motivates them what gets them excited? And it might not be the same thing that gets you excited. So kind of interesting uh, thought there, David, what are you, David green? What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a common mistake. A lot of
2: people make is they assume everyone else thinks like them. So when, when there's people that you bring an opportunity to, and you say you can make a lot of money to some, that's actually distasteful. What well, That just yeah. sounds like a terrible reason to do anything. <laughs> you know, if you say, Hey, would you like more time? with your kids. So you work less overtime because I can make you passive income on the side through what I do. That's a completely different story. So the disc profile that Brandon, you're talking about is a behavioral assessment that breaks down what people value. So the D the I, the S and the C are the four components of a personality. Your D score is your dominant score. It's how quickly you make decisions in a, in an environment you've never been in or in a situation you've never seen Your I is your interactive score. That measures how much you like interacting with other people and how much you value being liked. Your S is your stability score. That measures how much change you like or how much you kind of like to live by the seat of your pants. And your C is your compliance score, which kind of deals with how much you like structure, protocol. Uh, Those are like your engineers, your architects, your bookkeepers. They like Excel spreadsheets. They're very analytical by nature. And so it's not just the motivation for why someone would do it, but the way you present the information, if you're talking to a certain disc, you definitely want to give it according to what they, how they perceive things, how they would like to hear. And man, when I learned about that, to me, it felt like the Rosetta stone of communication. I went from continually being frustrated that people didn't understand what I was saying to, it just became
0: so easy to get your point across. That's cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Real helpful.
0: All right. So walk us through. So you you guys started buying properties together. You bought yeah. the fourplex. What went right? What went wrong? And and also, where was this at?
1: Okay. So this is in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, I love Chattanooga. St- oh, it's an amazing city. I kind of yeah. just, that's another advantage I had. Like yeah. I went to college here. And, and I didn't know it at the time, but I sold after college was a terrible market and everything collapsed. And I started selling insurance mm-hmm. and I went door to door, like selling insurance. I would call up and say, Hey, I'm coming to see you to explain Medicare to you. like, okay, come on out. So I was driving all around Chattanooga and I didn't realize it, but that was an advantage later in life because I knew all the areas. I knew the zip codes, I knew the streets. And so I was able to invest back here in Chattanooga. And even though I'm not, I wasn't in the States. I knew what, what areas, what they looked like just from my memory. So in Chattanooga, find a quadplex from another investor for 125000 And we still have it today. It pretty much has just gone right. And that was kind of lucky that the first deal went 100% right and hasn't had any major problems. But it made it easy to go on to the next thing. Now, to go to the next one, though, we were sacrificing. like We were living off of like half of my income and saving up the other half of the income to invest. So it's not like I had a lot of money and I could just keep investing. No, we, we sacrificed a lot. We lived on like 20,000 a year, yeah. 24,000 a year. So we could save up. And we did that for a number of years and, you know, credit to my wife, an amazing wife who was willing to do that in the beginning to set us up for success in the future.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So many people uh refuse to even entertain the thought of sacrificing. Cause it's like, it's like, well, I want to have my cake and eat it too. I really want to enjoy my nice car payment right now. You know, my nice car with the hefty car payment. I want to know it and have that nice house in the nice part of town. Uh, and, and some people don't like, some people will blame it on their spouse. I don't say blame it, but like, maybe that's what it is, but they have a spouse that just doesn't want to sacrifice because they're, they they do not have that same mindset. Any suggestions for people that are listening right now going, yeah, my, my spouse would never do that.
1: I think it goes back to kind of what David Green was saying about how they see things and more importantly, how they see money. Early on, I read a book, Millionaire Mindset by T. Harv Ecker, or Secret of the Millionaire Mindset, something like that, by T. Harv Ecker. And I read it with my wife. And there's a part in there where you talk to your partner about how they view money. And it was really, really important because what might be holding that person back is just their view of money. Some people think money is meant to be spent. If you have it, you need to send it, spend it. Some people think it just needs to be. You know, you just need to save it up. And a lot of this is like internal. You don't even realize that's how you think about it until you like do a deep dive in your own mind and like, oh, yeah, why do I think about money that way? So having that conversation of how people think about money, especially with your spouse, can be so helpful if you're trying to get to the next level.
0: That's cool. I'm reading a book right now. I'm in the middle of it. Wendy Papazan sent it to me, actually. Jay Papazan's wife, one of her favorite books. And it's called Happy Money. And it's not about how to make more money. It's literally about how to spend money. And what are the things that you spend? Like, what actually makes you satisfied and happy and fulfilled in life? Like, I think the tagline of the book is those who say, uh what was it? Something like those who say you can't buy happiness haven't looked at the research. I think it's what the like the sub <laughs> is. And yeah, it's basically like there are ways, there are things that we can do that we can spend our money on and that we should, but I mean, it's like tough it's stuff we all know, but it's cool to see it in research like buying crap doesn't make you happier, buying a nicer car, nicer house doesn't actually make you happier in life. Buying experiences makes you happy in life, helping other people makes you happier in life. And so it was an interesting book, I'm really enjoying it a lot, but yeah, it's called Happy Money. Uh, but yeah, all right. So let's let's move forward. So you you started to pick up these units. Kind of what yes. came next. So you 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 got up to a certain number there, right?
1: Yeah. So like a duplex, a quadplex, another duplex, and I from bigger pockets. I heard about going directly to listing agents. So I would be over there in the Congo researching, and then I would find out a property for sale. I would call them up through my Google Voice number. It looks like I'm calling from the states. Hey, I'm a local investor. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in this property. Okay. I'll send my partner over to come take a look at it. So we started buying stuff directly from listing agents. And then they started bringing other stuff off market because they knew we were buying. And so that helped us get to about 24 units. And then unfortunately at that time, my dad got sick and he actually got misdiagnosed and they said he only had six months to live. And it was like, my whole world was turned upside down. And so what are we going to do? Just sell all the real estate. Let's find a cure for him. But fortunately he was actually misdiagnosed. Now he still has a health condition. And so I decided at that point, we have 24 units, I'm gonna come back to live close to my parents here in Chattanooga. And what am I gonna do? Well, if I get a hospital administrator job, I have to go anywhere. So I decided then, okay, I'm gonna dive in and be full-time real estate investor after we had 24 units.
2: Wow, that's cool, man. So let me ask you, as far as how you got to those 24 units, What do you think your secret sauce was? What did you do better that other people didn't do?
1: I don't know if I feel like I had to do anything better than what other people were doing in the market. Back then, there was a lot of deals to be had. Um, You know, this was like starting like six years ago, six and a half years ago. So it wasn't as hot as it is now. You didn't have to be so good to pick up good deals. Like Chattanooga was just an easy market to find good deals in. Now, what I did do better was going straight to listing agents. And even though I was over there, start building a network of people that bring me off-market deals. So I was getting a little bit better deals. But honestly, if anyone goes back to 2014 and buys all the duplexes in Chattanooga, you would get a good deal now. (laughs) (laughs) Like,
2: (laughs) You know, there's a really good point to that, that real estate, good is a subjective term. You know, like I think one of the mistakes I see newbies make is they do a year one analysis and they say, oh, it's only a 6% return. But if they looked at it five years later, it's a 19% return and it's grown in, in value. It's very easy when you get scared about doing something to really zoom in on what could go wrong. And that's what happens. But when you talk to people that own properties for 10 years, it's, they, they're they never mad about it. They're always <laughs> like, I could have paid way more and I would have still been happy. So do you think that you just kind of figured that out faster than maybe some other investors do?
1: Well, I'm very decisive and my dad as well. Like when we see a property, okay, we'll buy it. Like there's not a lot of uh, second guessing and hemming and hawing. And that can be bad at some points, but we make decisions pretty quickly. So yeah, like, okay, we have the money with the property, let's take action. So we, we did take action a lot more than other investors were at that point, for sure.
0: That's cool. What, what, what did you like about Chattanooga, by the way?
1: I, I mean, it's a nice climate. Uh, the area is nice. The people are friendly. And more importantly, the real estate is really good for the purchase <laughs> price versus what it rents for. So especially when we started out, you, know, you could buy something way better than the, the 1% rule. Um, now it's kind of gone to the 1% rule, but still for a lot of markets, Hey, you're at Chattanooga's that's the 1% rail still hasn't gotten worse than the 1% rule.
0: That makes sense. All right. So you bought the 24 units, father got sick. What came after that? You quit your job then. I mean, you moved to the States full time. What happened?
1: Yeah. Okay. So I got an opportunity when I was moving back to the States to go and manage 120 units for this organization. Now, it's a nonprofit that owned the properties, and they were managing themselves, and they needed some help. So I didn't get paid a lot to do it, but man, I gained so much experience by going and managing 120 units. And at the same time, I started managing my 24 units, and that's the money I was living off of. Okay, I got a management income for my 24 units. I've never touched like the profit my properties were generating, just like my management fee. And then I started managing 120 units at that same point, and I learned a lot by jumping in and and just doing that,
0: that's cool. That's cool. All right, so I, I guess I want to walk to walk to some of your skill sets that you have today, because i obviously with your Instagram handle DIY underscore landlord, right? You must yeah. be a DIY landlord. <laughs> right? Right? Yes. So uh, let's talk about you know, why. Like, why are you managing yourself versus hiring property managers? And uh, let's go into that a little bit.
1: Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about property managers. It's important. And I think this was a really big advantage I had. One, I started managing myself so I could go into real estate full-time quicker. Now that's not the right path for everyone, but for me it was. And when I went into managing, I mean, real estate full-time, it exploded. I went from a hundred and I went from 24 units to 150 units yeah. in two commercial buildings in three years. Yeah. That's great. So, yeah, it exploded when I started doing it full time because I could network, I got connections, I talked to banks, like it just built on itself. So if I hadn't managed myself, I never would have been able to take that step sooner. And then I started seeing as I'm managing it, I have a unique um, advantage because I know exactly what I'm gonna do to this property if I'm gonna buy something. I don't have to depend on a third party manager to determine what my outcome's gonna be. You know, it's dependent on me. I also have some handyman skills. I was a framer. I had my own construction, a framing company in, in college. So that kind of fit in. And so I do some of the manual labor myself. I've kind of stopped that now that I've hired some people and stuff like that. I'm, I'm phasing some things out. But in the beginning, I was doing a lot of it because I had time and because it saved me a lot of money and it helped make me money. So it, it just helped me build my portfolio by doing those things at that point.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we haven't, we haven't done a show in a while on just landlording skills, but a lot of our listeners, they start by managing their properties themselves. Uh, and, you know, we can have the debate all day long whether or not somebody should or shouldn't. Uh, but, you know, I started that way. David even started that way. And David didn't stick with it long because he realized <laughs> his skill set was better in property management. But, like, I, I started that way. So let's let's go through some specifics on property management. First of all, when you're looking for a tenant, like, what do you say to people? Like, I, cause one of the most common questions I get is what if I can't find a tenant? How do you answer that? What if I can't find a tenant if I have this vacant unit?
1: If, I mean, and and nowadays in America, who is saying that? I don't know where you're living that you can't (laughs) find a tenant. Like, I mean, the tenants are everywhere for one. And two, you control a lot of what you need to do to find a tenant. Do you have a good property? You know, is it desirable? You can lower the, the rent a little bit. You can figure out how to market it better. Like there's so many different areas You can be a better landlord. And so you get referrals from your other tenants. Are you telling everybody that you have a property? A lot of people are kind of scared to be like the owner or or whatever. I'm not scared to be the owner. I want everyone to know I have properties so that they call me and say, hey, do you have a place? I'm like, oh yeah, I have one coming up. Come on into it. Like It helps me to find tenants by people knowing what I do. Like I find tenants from Instagram, believe it or not. I have tenants reaching out on my Instagram. Hey, yeah, I saw that you're on Instagram. Do you have any properties to rent?
0: That's funny.
2: So it's good to manage your property and you're mentioning ways to get tenants. But like you said, in America right now, it's not super hard to find somebody who wants to rent someplace. So what advice do you have for the listeners on how you're going to screen these tenants, how you choose who you're going to rent to?
1: Okay. So, and I will say how I get a lot of tenants besides I use Facebook Marketplace. Which is an amazing tool because it, it it like basically advertises for you for free and that you have this place. You don't even have to pay for it if you use your own personal page. Anyways, when I screen them, I have a property management software and I do a credit and background check. If anyone has an eviction on the record, I do not accept them. I verify their income. And I hate to be that person, but I don't like renting to entrepreneurs. Like you have mm. to have real <laughs> verifiable income. It's kind of a bad thing to say. Yeah. And then then I get up their landlord history like do they have good renter history and I I like when I get an application and they put their landlord I google the address I look up the owner on the address and I basically scrub it down to see if that's the actual landlord yeah and if they're giving me a fake landlord okay they're out if I get a good landlord reference and they have income And they don't have an eviction, it doesn't really matter what their credit score is. If those three things are true, like I know I have a really solid tenant.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I once heard this great tip. I really liked it a lot. And we do it a lot, where when they put down a landlord reference, I will call, like not me anymore, but we'll call that landlord like and just say, Hey, I'm wondering if you have any vacancies available. And then (laughs) wait if they say vacancies, what the hell are you talking about? Then you know they just put down some random person or a friend or whatever. But if you're like, hey, John said that he rents from you, are you his landlord? Then his buddy is like, oh, yeah, 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 John, yeah, great guy, right? So, like, just a a little (laughs) sneaky way to get in there to try to make sure that they're not just giving their friend's name and number because, like, they could uh, they, they, could. Could.
1: they that, could but that that is that is yeah. a good tip that's yeah, a little sneaky <laughs> sneaky like trick that. there
0: <laughs> i don't remember where i read that but it was some land, land learning book all right so what are what are the things that are i mean you mentioned those like the you know the, the credit score may not be quite as important if they have out all the other things like right. what are some red flags that you're just like uh uh-uh, uh not going to rent to that person
1: so if they have an eviction definitely not if they have uh, utilities in collections That's also a sign normally that someone kind of got kicked out of their apartment without going through the eviction process. So that's a huge red flag if they owe on, have past due on utilities. If obviously criminal history, I check that. I don't want to have any violent felons living in my place just as a safety concern. And uh, so that's a big red flag. And then also verifiable income. That's a huge thing. Like I got to get the pay stubs. I got to see how much they're making. Is it from a real place that if I have to evict them, I can go garnish their wages You know, if someone's an entrepreneur, you kick them out, Hmm. that money's all gone. If they work at a place and they've been working there for a number of years, they're most likely not going to change the job. I'll get my money eventually.
0: That's That's a really really good point. You know, one other point you made that I don't think we've ever talked about on this show it's not in depth, but I want to make the point now because I've been researching a little bit is about this idea of like uh, renting to the like, criminal history. So here's what I've been finding. And honestly, I didn't even know that the law had changed over the last few years where the way you said it is exactly the way that, that we say it. I don't want violent felony like felons in my properties. Basically, uh, what has happened in the last few years is listed in a lot of states. And I think it's just federal now is if you have a blanket, no felony policy that can be called discrimination, uh, because certain types of people have higher rates of incarceration or at least higher rates of uh, arrest. And so if you say like you can't have been arrested or you can't have been like you can get in trouble for discrimination. So you have to be able to apply the same principle across all your properties, of course. But mm-hmm. you also have to be careful not to either a do something that could be considered discrimination against a certain type and also uh, drug abuse today. And even even. Other drug related fel- and again, we're not lawyers and not giving legal advice here, but like even certain drug related things can be considered a disability, not a. Like, I've even heard people say to the point of like DUIs and DWIs that they, they won't screen against them because, I mean, if they're an alcoholic and they were driving, well, that's a disability. Their addiction is a disability. Therefore, you shouldn't discriminate. Now, I don't know if I go quite that far. Not that I would necessarily discriminate against a D- DWI anyway, but. Just something to be aware of. If you're a landlord, there are rules and there are laws that we have to be careful and we have to follow. And they might seem silly to some of us, but they're out there. So do your research. Yeah,
1: the and I didn't. I haven't followed it, but it's going to the Supreme Court on that whole thing because the largest landlord in America got sued because of that. Interesting. And I and I hear it's going to the Supreme Court. I haven't followed up on it, but yeah. So I always say violent. Yeah, violent. <laughs> violent. Like, oh, yeah. like that's the thing. And the truth is, like whatever. I'm not a little bit of possession of here or there. That's not the biggest problem um, to have in a tenant, to be honest. I agree. And going back to, I just wanted to mention with this whole property management, like why I did it. And looking back, I can see why it was an advantage for me because there's like two types of property managers. There's a property manager who is a real estate agent broker, and they know how to manage single family homes. They know how to show the heck out of a single family home. They understand that type of buyer or renter. You know, they speak that language. And so they do really good with the single family. Then you have the sophisticated property management companies who manage like 100 units and more. Like So they manage those apartment complexes. And they have all the fancy systems and they understand apartment renters and how to put all these little fees in there to get the most you can. And they even have software that tells them how much to rent the property for depending on their vacancy. So Mm -hmm. if they have like a 2% vacancy, the price will be here. If they have a 5% vacancy, the price will be a little bit lower. Like they have all these things. But there's not normally very proficient property managers in the in-between, in like the multifamily from like six units to 40 units, because the big guys, they want staff on site. They need a property manager and a maintenance person on site because that regional director is never taking a phone call and they're not doing anything themselves. They need to have people to do it. And then the people who manage the single family stuff, they're not used to apartment renters. Because when someone moves into an apartment, something happens to their mind. They become a different type of person. I don't know what it is, but it's the truth. They don't know how to throw their trash away. Like, they can't get it in the dumpster. Like, (laughs) I don't know what happens to these people, but something happens. So there's not really good property management in between. So I kind of put myself in that market, the in-between market, and that's kind of where my sweet spot of managing is because I can handle a 40-unit apartment complex having no staff on site.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm writing this book where I wrote this book where it's in editing right now, but The Multifamily Millionaire comes out next year and we have two volumes. The first one's on small multi, the second one's on large multi. And in, in the small multi, I make this point very clear and very often that there is a sweet spot in multifamily, exactly what you're saying, because it's too small for the big institutional guys and all the ones that are really, 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 they've been doing real estate forever and they're going to steal every deal because they're good. And it's too big for all the people just getting started buying their first house or single family, or at least they think it's too big. So it's just like in managing, there's no good managers. There's also not not as many investors looking in that range either. And so if you're in, in a market, you're trying to get started with something a little larger, there can be a good sweet spot right there. Now, I am curious, how are you able to get loans for all these properties that's another question i get very often from people saying well what if you get i I thought the limit was only four loans or i thought the limit was only 10 loans like how do you get these loans to get up to 100 and some units that you have now
1: so the limit on loans that people talk about is just conventional mortgages that's the type of mortgage you get on your own house you can also get on an investment property and they check the heck out of your credit score and your tax returns and everything you spend and your insurance and they look at everything and it's like a long list. And you can only get a certain number of those up to 10 uh, normally, like four, and then it becomes harder and then you can get 10. But there's no limit on the amount of loans you can get from a local credit union. There's no limit on the loans you can get from a local bank. They call them portfolio loans because the loans are held in a portfolio at the bank. They don't sell them to another bank. And there's no limit on those loans. Your terms are a little bit different, but you just have to make your deals work with the terms that you get, depending on the, what place you're at in the borrowing cycle,
0: Yeah. <laughs> per se. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think people, I have never known anybody, I have, like, hopefully this kind of puts this issue to rest for those listening. I have never known anybody, and I doubt you guys ever have either, who went and got their 10 loans and went, shoot, I'm, I don't know <laughs> what to do next. I can't figure it out, I'm done, I'm stuck. <laughs> I guess I'll give up. Like nobody, like everybody, figures it out when they get to like three properties. Like it's like you figure out like like you, you get in the game. So everyone worries about that when they have no properties or when they may have mm-hmm. one, but they don't they wor- don't worry about it down the road. So just yeah, something that it's, it's one of those non issues that everyone thinks is an issue, but it's really not as big of an issue. You're exactly right. Like, yeah, funny. All right, so let's let's one more question on the property management side, like from me anyway. What do you see like? Successful property managers. I know later on in the show, I'm going to ask you about what, you know, what do top investors do that sets them apart, but good property managers, like what, what do they do? Like, what are some of the principles or traits or skills that good landlords, property managers, people who take care of residential property, what do they have that's different?
1: Really good customer service. You know, mm-hmm. people think like, oh, I have a tenant and then they're just there and I don't have to worry about them. If they call, I'm not going to pick up the phone or da-da-da. No, like if you have really good customer service, if you have a property manager who always picks up the phone, mm-hmm. that is just huge because you 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 reduce your maintenance expenses because you're heading off problems before they start, or you're fixing them before they become a big issue. You're reducing your vacancy because you know, you're a good, easy to get a hold of. So when someone's calling to rent a place, they get in touch with you right away. They're not waiting a day to hear back from you or anything like that. And, and that's kind of like the main thing is like being proactive, being available, that kind of thing. A lot of people don't want to be. They're scared of that. What if someone calls me in the middle of the night? What about this or what about that? Like they're scared to pick up the phone. But being always available to the phone is really, if I were to hire a property manager, that's what I would want. I would want my tenants to be able to call them any time of the day. And at least if it's an emergency, they would get someone. Yep. And that if they're listing it, if they call, it gets picked up right away. I mean, I've, I've done tenant screenings for people who live in other properties. And I would never, ever let those people manage my property because it took me four days to get a landlord reference back. Like no one would pick up the phone. Yep. And I knew the owner of the company personally. Like I had to message him on Facebook <laughs> and be funny. like, hey, like, get me this.
0: <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, yeah, customer service is notoriously bad with landlords and property managers because they don't, they don't know how to manage a business. They know how, to man- maybe you know how to manage tenants and do a tenant screening report, maybe, but they don't know how to manage a business. And that's a completely different skill set.
3: Yeah. Your competitors are fighting for your customers' attention. So how do you stand out? Easy. Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Reach new audiences, grow your customer list, sell more, raise more, and fast-track your growth. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business through email and SMS marketing, social media, and even events management. Don't know much about marketing? Don't sweat it. Because Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. And with my boot camps and live events, I just don't have the time to clone myself. So I just let Constant Contact do the marketing for me, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact. Helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind, flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. netsuite.com biggerpockets. netsuite.com biggerpockets. You've heard us talk about it before. Go to fundrise.com slash pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss.
2: So when it comes to providing good customer service, there's tools that will help. There's customer relationship managers, there's systems in place. Can you share a little bit about what you've found works the best to allow you to give that customer service and kind of how you run the management side?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. So I don't, I mean, currently I'm managing like 200 units in total and all my tenants have my phone number. Well, they have a Google voice number that goes to my cell phone, but they're pretty well trained to text. If they need something, they send a text message and that's pretty easy. Like I don't mind text messages because I can answer them when I need to get to them. I can see if it's an emergency. I I really like uh, text messages, but on top of that, I have a property management software called Buildium. Okay. And Buildium is a pretty good property management software. If you've kind of already gone past maybe like 10 units or 20 units and you're not yet to like the big dogs, Buildium is, is, a, is a good software for that. And people can text within the app and they can also send in maintenance requests. And I have a maintenance guy who can get those requests right away as soon as they come in. And it, and it really helps. Like, okay, if, there's, if this person really is like kind of tech savvy and wants to just put in requests, Boom. If it's an old lady who doesn't know how to use the internet, fine. She has my phone number. At least she can learn how to text and she can send me a text message. I've, I've seen some people who are like, no, they only have to send in requests online. And I don't think being rigid like that really helps because there's some people who just can't figure it out. And you might end up with a whole house flooded because that person couldn't figure out how to put in a maintenance request.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's really
2: good. Well, how yeah. about, Can you share some of the specifics? It sounds like what you're saying is that Buildium is a portal that allows communication between landlords and the tenants to make it easier to service what they need. It probably also avoids that whole awkward. They're calling me, they're asking me for something. I know I don't want to agree to it, but I don't know what to say. Does it also help with rent collection? Does it also help with like maybe reminders that maintenance needs to be due that you can leverage off to handymen or people on the team?
1: Yeah, it it is a complete package. So I do all my accounting in there. All the rent collection comes in. People can pay online. They can even pay cash. You know, a lot of people are like, how do I accept cash? Well, with this product, I accept cash, except that people go to CVS to pay it. So people go to CVS with cash in hand, they scan their barcode, and then the cash automatically goes into their ledger and it's just accounted for greatly. It's amazing. I get like, 30,000 a month in cash payments that I don't ever have to deal with. It just comes into the bank account automatically accounted for. And then the tenant also has a website. It's the same. It does my tenant screening in there. I mean, it does everything in there. E-leases. I mean, it's all in one and that's why I like it. And it's pretty easy to use.
0: Yeah, we have, uh, we actually operate all of our like residential, like my Grays Harbor, Washington, like my lo- my starting properties, I guess, are all yeah. managed under Buildium. Uh, yeah. I think my property manager company that does the mobile home parks use uh, something called Rent Manager. Very similar. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, very cool stuff. So you're using that to, to kind of handle all your stuff, which, which is important. And the nice thing about most of those platforms, and there's a number of them out there, is that they allow you to kind of scale up a little bit. Like you don't have to necessarily pay thousands of dollars a month or hundreds even hundreds a month to get started like you can get started a little bit cheaper but it's good what i think is that it's good to get those systems down when you only have a few units rather than waiting until you have 50 or 100 because that's what i did i waited until i had like 60 or 70 units but i think before we started using buildium and then it was hell like then it was like a lot of work to get figured out i would have rather started when i had two units and just acted like i had a big business do you agree
1: I do agree. I, yeah. At least have a couple of units, see how it's working and yeah. then figure out a system that's going to allow you to grow. Like, yeah, be ready. It depends what you want. Some people only want two units. Fine. Yeah. If yep. But what is your goal? If your goal is a hundred units, we'll yeah. start acting like you have a hundred units and get all the systems in place. So when you do get mm-hmm. there, you'll be ready.
2: Yeah. I'll tell you something else. In addition to that, that's really cool for the people listening. There's something about that if you build it, they will come mentality from the Field of Dreams movie that just works so good with human brains. When I go and hire staff and I have people on payroll, it affects me emotionally when it comes to lead generating for business. Because now if if I don't do it, either that person loses their job or I don't turn a profit. It, it changes the way that I interact. It's not, oh, do I have to do this right now? You want to go do it because you've set everything up. When you've got systems in place like what you're describing for 120 units and you've got 10, it there's this part of you that feels like, I need to fill these spaces. I need to find properties. I need to analyze deals. You don't mind doing it. You look forward to it. Is that a similar experience? It sounds like because you said you're very decisive and you take action quickly, that may have been what led to you scaling was you kind of paved the road and
1: said, now I got to
2: go take the journey.
1: You're right. And I can pinpoint the time though that I realized, okay, it was going to flip and this was going to go big. And it, it, it felt, it came down to two things. And Brandon mentioned one of them. One, I realized there was a space in the market between like 10 units and 40 units yep. that there was hardly any buyers in Chattanooga for. Like, I know all the buyers, like there's like five of us, <laughs> there's just not that many who are buying in that space. And there wasn't then, and there still isn't now, not as many. So I realized that. And then I got this crazy opportunity. I was buying a single family home and the lady happened to have a pocket listing for 10 duplexes on one street. And I didn't have the money to get it done. And before I would have let that limit me be like, Oh, that would have been an amazing deal if I had the money. But then I realized it doesn't matter how much money I have in my pocket. How can I get this deal done? And I looked at it from that perspective. Okay, how can I get this deal done? And then I went and found someone and I brought her in as an equity partner. She paid the ent- almost the entire down payment, got 35% yeah. of the share. And we got a loan from a local bank and we figured it all out. And boom, got 10 duplexes on one street, almost doubled my portfolio on one purchase. And that kind of like opened my mind to say, all I'm looking for is deals. I don't care about money, how much money I have in my bank account. Da-da-da-da deals are what matter. And I know deals are found in this space because there's not that many of us here. So this is where I'm going to target.
0: Yeah. You, you know, one of the reasons I think that that sweet spot exists, the 10 to 40 unit range is because they are, they are a little more difficult to manage. You don't have on site management, right? You don't have, you don't have an instig- institutional grade 180 unit with a pool and a, you know, jacuzzi or whatever, like you don't have that. And it's not a single family house that's you're going to get really, really nice. tenants. So there's just there is a difficulty that is present in that space. So like, we don't want to lie and say there's not, Mm -mm. but that's where money is made, especially in a competitive market like today is if you're willing to take on hard things like that, and you can become good at solving those hard problems like that. I mean, that's why like people a lot of times ask why I stick with mobile home parks. It's because they're freaking hard. They're difficult. (laughs) Like they're, they're like midsize apartment buildings. They're hard. They're difficult. The tenant quality is tough. And so I like difficult things. Uh, I think that's where a lot of money is made. So uh, yeah, do you, do, you, do you agree? I guess I'll let you talk I, I on agree
1: that. 100%. And I was fortunate because the 120 units that I managed for that company when I came back, yeah. same thing. It was yeah. built up of streets of duplexes and small apartment complexes. So I was already handling all these really difficult situations. I mean, I had someone murdered at one of my duplexes. Ooh. I mean, I had all sorts of stuff go on, right? And I was already handling these issues And I was making it better and I improved it so much. We ended up selling that package, 120 units for 7.5 million to another investor. Like I was like, oh, wow. Then I saw, oh, wow, I can do this. I I can manage all these things. I can do it. I can make them better. I'm going to do it for myself.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And that's actually another great point about these apartment buildings is that let's say you buy a 20 unit apartment building, right? And each unit rents for $800 a month. I'm just making up numbers here, but let's say you're $800 a month times 20 units. If because you're a better manager and you clean up the property a little bit, you make sure that things are getting done on time, you're responding to maintenance requests, you're keeping an eye on the market, and you can bump that from 800 to 1,000 over a couple of years because, or maybe it was under-rented and you just brought up to where it should be. You know, you added $200 a month in rent. And it's like, well, that's not very much, but times 20 units is what, $4,000 a month? Over the course of a year, that's almost $50,000 in extra revenue. And so at a five cap, that's a million dollars in additional value. You just made a million dollars by increasing. I hope I did that math right because I did it really quick. But I think that's like you just made a million dollars in a couple of years off of just being a good manager and knowing what you're doing, which is why the, the, the key to that level, that sweet spot, I believe the, the key to success in that level is management. If you can manage that team or if you can hire the right property managers and keep an eye on them, you can be massively successful.
1: Dude, this is not hypothetical. Okay. Two years ago, I bought a 40 unit apartment complex. Now I bought it for the company. So I'm the president of that LLC, but I don't have an equity share. But anyways, mm-hmm. I bought it for 1.2 million. Two years ago, the end of this month, we're already under contract. It's going to close and we're selling it for 2.7 million. Wow. wow. In two years. Yeah. And that was just, it was, it was professionally managed when I bought it and i took it over and i professionally managed it better and yeah. <laughs> just that i i increased rents i reduced expenses and boom turned around using the cap rate and like yeah like in 2 years like that's where like amazing money is made amazing wealth is made like i love cash flow if you're starting out i started out as a cash flow investor and i still am a cash flow investor yeah but i realized along the way Cash flow is like so important for safety and security, and when you need it. Yep. But real wealth is built on your your personal financial statement. Real wealth is built as you increase the property values. I mean, you cannot get enough cash flow to compete with the wealth you can generate by improving a property, a uh, property's value.
0: Yeah, it's a it, David like what you always say about it being a defensive metric. You want to talk about that? I mean, because that's so yeah, good. that's really good, and it's good for people to hear, especially from
2: someone like David who's doing this. Cash flow keeps you safe. It keeps you alive. It keeps you from losing a property, but it does not build massive wealth. You know, you look at a, a typical deal, you're going to get hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars a property or a door. It takes a long time for that to turn into a million dollars in value. The people that are really good at investing, they're looking at the big picture, not just the cash flow. And I feel like cash flow becomes this addictive siren that calls to you because you're unhappy with something in life most of the time. You don't like your job. You don't like <laughs> that you, that you're stuck at home with nothing. You just want some change and you think that cash flow, that real estate is my savior and it pulls you in. And the next thing you know, it's, you know, it's not, it takes a long time to build wealth just through that. Look at it instead. Like this keeps me from going bankrupt. It keeps the property around time, equity, pay down, ri- rising rents, more efficiency in how I manage it. That's what's going to build wealth. Now, I think, Another thing to point out David that you mentioned is that by managing it more efficiently you improved your NOI which would be kind of the same as improving cash flow and that led to bigger wealth. Do you want to talk about maybe some of your plans to scale like once you've improved a property and brought it to its peak and you think that now it's time to to exit when you would do that and then what the what you'd look for in the next deal? Like what you're looking for now with your strategies of what you're trying to acquire?
1: Okay, so uh, you asked a couple of things there. So, first of all, what I look for now is other properties that have an opportunity, like they're mismanaged, they're under rent, um, they need some light repairs, not major. I don't actually normally do huge renovations. I'm more looking for, like, okay, the mismanaged properties. I'm also, uh, I've started doing commercial as well, and that I just look at is there from some reason while I'm getting a good deal? Like if I can get something for a good cap rate and it's a commercial property, even if it's not mismanaged, cause there's not much management to like a commercial retail center, honestly, it's pretty easy. But that's just like, okay, there's some problem here in the market where I'm able to get this for a good cap rate. So I'm looking for deals that have the potential to increase the, 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 the revenue. So more rents. And then when do I sell? That's a tough question because I like holding on to my properties. I don't always sell. I sell sometimes, but it has to be like, if I think I'm really getting a premium for it, even for this apartment complex, the 40 unit, I probably wouldn't have sold it, except I set my price and they met it. And I was like, okay, fine. I never even listed it. Like I just told a realtor about it and they brought someone. It was a really easy transaction because I'm like, you know what? If I'm going to sell it, I have to get enough because now I got to take all this money and go reinvest it and I gotta go find another deal. And so that means I have to put more work in, but it will be worth it because I have cashed in all this money.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Hey man, how do you find them? How do you find these sweet spot apartment complexes?
1: Yeah, so network, 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 honestly. It's more about like, I'm really dialed into Chattanooga market, that's kind of my, it's my advantage. That's why I really stick to this market because I know so many realtors, I know so many other investors. And I want everyone to know that I buy properties. I mean, I got some deal from a pest control guy. You know, he does pest control at another apartment complex or another duplex. He's like, hey, they probably want to sell. Oh, yeah, then put me in contact with them. I'll see if they're willing to sell. And they sure enough, they were. They were. Instagram, (laughs) I got people bringing me deals on Instagram because they see me. I'm active in the market. I really just want everyone in Chattanooga. I mean, a bigger pockets interview. Like everyone in Chattanooga, Mm -hmm. if you have a deal, (laughs) come to David because I buy. And, and I get repeat uh, sellers, especially real estate agents, because my goal is to be the easiest buyer ever. A lot of real estate agents are dealing with really difficult sellers, especially when it's multifamily and there's this and there's that. The sellers can be really difficult, so I try to be the best buyer possible. I will like gloss over some things, you know. I don't. I'm. I'm I try to get it for a good price but I'm really, really easy to deal with, especially on terms and on inspections. I'll be flexible. I'll work with their schedule. I'll come whenever they can. I always do what I say I'm going to do. I've never not closed on a deal that I put under contract unless I found something in due diligence. It's just never happened because that's my reputation. I am a good, easy buyer. Now I buy things for a deal. Everyone knows that like it has to be a good price, but if it's a good price, I'm definitely going to buy it.
0: That makes sense. What about financing them? You get this is a good deal. You have to just put 20% down. You just have to to be rich to be able to buy these big apartments.
1: (laughs) It's, you know, the, the bigger, and this is going to sound funny to people, the bigger the deal, the less money of my own I actually need. Yeah. Like that doesn't really make sense. Does it? Like the bigger the deal, the less money of my own I actually need, because if it's a big deal, I can bring in other investors and not even doing big syndications or actual syndications, like. One or two investors who have a couple hundred thousand dollars and they want to be in real estate and they know that I do it and hey, here's a great deal and they know it's a great deal because I'm going to manage it. I'm going to make sure it's a great deal. So the truth of the matter is, what's limiting to me is just the deals. It's not the down payment because I if I find a good deal, I will find the down payment. Um, it just I'm, I'm sure Brandon, you know, like it's like if it's a good deal, people are going to come with their money because they're going to make a good return and they trust you. Yeah,
0: it's so true. And I love that you say like the the thing to the thing that you focus on is the deal. Like it's not that you don't think about money at some point. Of course, you're gonna think about that. You're that's why you're networking. That's why you're connecting with people and doing all that. But like if you're focused and you're 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 you're. Primary driver is to understand that if you have a great deal, everything else falls in place. It's kind of like the the book, The One Thing, right? Jay Papazan, Gary Keller. Like, The One Thing is all about what's that first domino? What's that the one thing that you could do that makes everything else easier or not necessary? I'm butchering the, the phrase there. But basically, yeah, get a great deal. Everything else is easier. And guess what? Getting a great deal is totally something that you can learn, it's totally a skill just like basketball or fishing that you can get good at by reading some books and by practicing and by talking with other people who are already good at it. And so it when you think about real estate in that way, and you realize that, yes, it is that simple, like it should make everyone listening to this right now going, well, oh, shoot, this sounds way easier than I thought. Because it is. It's like, it's not easy, but it's also not like, this is not trying to figure out how to, you know, I don't know, day trade stocks with Warren Buffett or something. I don't know, like real estate's not that complicated. I
1: I don't think I'm that smart. Like honestly, (laughs) like I no trigonometry, no algebra, even. Like I'm like pretty basic, but it's pretty easy to see for me because I put in the time and the research. I listened to Bigger Pockets. I read the books. Like you have to put in the time, but once you put in the time and the research, you realize, okay, I have the data now. The skill set is actually pretty easy. It's not very complicated. Yeah,
0: I love it. If you could say
1: there's
2: one thing that you did well that other people didn't do well and really just say, Hey, this was what I got right. And that's why I got here. What would you say that is?
1: You know, that's hard to say because I don't think I necessarily, there's a lot of ways to do things in real estate, especially, and I'm happy to share my story, but I don't necessarily think it's the only or the right way to do it. There's a lot of other ways and a lot of other successful, more successful people than me. Honestly, I took action though. And the people who don't do anything, they didn't take any action. That definitely sets us apart. But not only did I take action, I had a goal that I was going to reach and I was determined to reach it. So I I wrote it down and said, this is the goal. And then I made a plan to achieve it, wrote that down, and then I took action and I was determined to have to achieve it. And then it happened like 10 times faster than I thought it was going (laughs) to happen.
0: I find that pattern over and over in my life when I when I set a goal and I write it down and I start working toward it. It's amazing how fast things fall into place. Like you, you get your conscious mind and your subconscious all working toward it. And just, it just, yeah. It's I like tell everyone
1: way. to write their goal down and probably 1% of the people that I meet because people, other new investors, they come and ask me questions and I'll go out to lunch with them or whatever and I'll share my secrets. And I don't really have any secrets. Yeah. And, <laughs> but I'll share and I'll answer questions. And I think probably 1% of them actually go back to their house and write down their goal. Yeah. And it's just so easy. It takes no money. It takes hardly any time, but it takes commitment. And I don't know. People like, it's all a great idea, but to actually commit to it, uh, what if I fail? What if yep. it doesn't happen? Like, yeah.
0: Yeah, so good, man. It's really good. Really good. Well, I think it's about that time, David. I think it's time to move to the deal. Deal deep, deep, dive. deep. Die. All right, Mr. Grabener, it's time for the Deal Deep Dive, the part of the show where we dive deep into something that you've done. So uh, we're just going to tear apart a property in a good way, you know, and find out, get the dirty details. So uh, with that said, are you ready? I'm ready. We'll start with what kind of property is this and where is it located?
1: Okay, so I'm going to do a pretty simple one for people to understand because sure. I do a lot of creative stuff. So I'll just do a, a pretty simple one. It is a duplex. Okay. It's really a house with a basement apartment, but it's it's a duplex in a, a little town outside of Chattanooga, uh, next to a college. All right. Okay, and how'd
2: you find that deal?
1: I found that deal because I was in closing with a realtor for another property, and the realtor is like, "Hey, I have some people who want to sell a property." But they still have some work to do on it. Are you interested?
0: Uh, no, no, thanks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> don't want it, right? <laughs>
0: All right. How much? Uh, how much was it? How much did they want for it, and what did you end up getting it for?
1: They wanted, I think, one hundred and fifty originally. I got it for one hundred and thirty cash. Okay.
0: And
2: and how did you negotiate that price?
1: So I went and I talked with them and I met with them and I was like, really easy. I did my inspection really easy. And I was like, well, if you want to list it and I put financing on it, the realtor had said something around like, oh, they probably would want 150. But if then I walked the property and they had some work to do, like the bathroom needed to be finished. And I was like, you could just stop working today. How about (laughs) 130? And they're like, oh, stop working today. All right. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome.
0: I actually love that. When I was younger and I wanted to pick up other shifts from people at work, I would simply just call them an hour before their shift and I would say, hey, do you want to just knock them to work today? I'll just go for you. (laughs) And Every time, every time, no matter how much they needed money, people would say yes. They don't want to work that day, right? So I could pick up more shifts. I wanted to earn more money. Uh, It's because people think in the immediate. They make decisions in the immediate because that's the emotional. I'd rather... I'd rather go see a movie. I'd rather hang out in bed. I'd rather watch some TV. I'd rather do anything else than do that work. So when you can apply that to real estate like this, like right now you can stop working. I mean, you're not telling them, hey, if you would just work two more weeks, you get 10 grand more. That's a lot of money per hour. But like, they don't they don't think that way. It's not a logical thing. It's an emotional, I could stop right now. And like, I've done it. I've fallen for it many times in my own life as well. And not, and I don't regret it. Like sometimes I just want to be done with something. So I, I love that. Very good. All right, so that's how you negotiate. How did you fund it? You said cash, but was it actually like you just you know walked up with a briefcase of cash, or like what the financing look like?
1: So that one, I took out of a line of credit that I have against one of my properties that has a lot of equity in it. So I kind of use that line of credit to uh, buy properties and then I refinance them. But even for someone who doesn't have a line of credit or cash, there are hard money lenders out there, and they don't require much. Like don't let that oh I didn't have cash stop me from being able to do it. Like yeah. You had access to cash. It was just more expensive than the cash I had um, access to.
0: Oh, that's good. That's a good way of looking at that. Yeah. We all have access to cash. We just have it at different uh, values or different, uh, cost different costs. amount different money to use yeah. it. Yeah. Different costs. That's, that's really good. I guess we
2: buy everything with cash. It's just whose cash <laughs> are we using? Exactly.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> all right, cool. So once you had this property, what'd you do with
1: it? So I finished up the basement Took a little bit longer than I thought because my maintenance guy actually had to have a pacemaker put in. So he was out for a couple of weeks. But good thing I know how to do stuff myself because I can step in when I have to. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the advantage of knowing how to do some things yourself. But anyways, so I fixed it up a little bit and now I got it rented out. Um, the upstairs rents for 1200 and the uh-huh. downstairs rents for 700 uh-huh. I actually didn't even list it. And a previous tenant of mine called me and said they needed a place to stay. And I was like, perfect. I got the perfect place for you.
0: So you got this property, you bought it for one, you said one thirty, right? You got put some, how much, how much you put into it? Uh, 5,000.
1: 5, okay. So not much it. at
0: all. Okay. So you just finished it yeah. up there and now you're renting it for 1900 a month total. Are you paying water, yeah. sewer and garbage there? Or do you have it split? No, nope. no nope. Tenants. They pay their own water. Ah, yeah. a, oh, that's like the, that is like the golden, like, I don't know, golden, whatever you want to call it. Goose. We'll say for now, like in, in a uh, small multifamily, I think if you can get the, the tenant responsible for their own water, sewer and garbage, like. It's it's unreal, the difference. Like my all my best properties are the best because of that. So that's cool. If you can split it, if you can do sub-meter, if you can do whatever you can do, that. that oh was, yeah, it's so, so,
1: so important. I have a 24 unit right now that I'm like, have my maintenance guy like taking meter readings because it's like mm-hmm. individually yep. metered. But I'm I'm then I charge them back, but I'm in discussions now with the water company to have them take it over. And it's gonna be so awesome. Once they take it over, I don't have to worry about that. Nah. But the other guy was just, the previous owner was just eating it because yep. it was too difficult to deal with. Yep. So he was eating- uh, 1,200 a month yep. in cost yep. and he was just eating it.
0: And let's do some quick math, right? 1,200 a month times 12 is $14,000 roughly a year. And that is $700,000 in value at a five cap, <laughs> I think, right? So like <laughs> seven, like, all right, a, at a 10 cap, it's, am I doing that math? Yeah, well, no, it'd be like, let's see a 10 cap. That's not quite that much, but 14,000 a year divided by 10 would be $144,000. 140 roughly at a 10 caps at, cap. so at a five cap would be 300. Okay, fine. 300k in value that he's just thrown away. Not quite a seven, but yeah, it's it's crazy. A lot of people are wondering how I'm doing that math. If you want to know it, like just look up like cap rate and NOI on bigger pockets, and you'll find that how that formula works. And there's a lot of articles, Yeah, about but
2: over it. a three year period, that's almost a million dollars. It's a lot. That's <laughs> what we're talking about. It's, and it's easy for three years to go by where you just think, like Oh, yeah, I got to get to that.
0: Yeah, there, there's yeah. it's it's crazy how much leverage there is when you can shift that water bill over and how much more valuable your properties are when we buy our mobile home parks it's like the first thing we do is we shift all like we, we install sub meters if they're not already there the tenants pay their own water sewer garbage and i have never ever had a tenant like leave because they had to pay water sewer garbage <laughs> ever i've never had a tenant leave i've never had a tenant like even like complain oh you pay water here like it's almost like they don't they don't understand because to them it's like, Oh, it's just, it's just a little water bill. It's 50 bucks a month, hundred dollars a month. So it's not a big deal for them. They just accept it as like, Oh, it's the cost of living in this property. But for the landlord, it's huge. And it also cuts yeah. down and saves water and saves the environment. So there you go. You're doing something good. <laughs> All right, right, man. Let's the end, uh, the last question here. So you funded it. You, what'd you do with it? So are you, did you refinance it then at that point or what? Oh, yeah. To, so
1: I am closing on the refinance on Friday. Uh, refinanced yes. it out. I got it appraised for one sixty five. So I'm pulling out all my, all my money back out. I won't have anything in it. That's and great. I got a great little deal from the College of Dale Credit Union over here down the road. <laughs> and that's they great. give me the loans, and they're so easy. And it's like never going back to conventional because yeah. <laughs> it's so easy when you're in the commercial land.
0: Honestly, that's cool. All right, well, last question. Of what lessons did you learn from this deal?
1: Ooh. To appreciate my maintenance guy, mm. because when he was out and getting other people to do the work was, it <laughs> yeah. was tough. That basically, I mean, it's a pretty small, basic deal for me. I didn't really, you know, it's nothing really new to me besides that. I had to do it when my maintenance guy was sick. So I yeah. appreciate him even more.
0: There you go. That's awesome, man. Well, good, good. That's a really good example of a really good burr. Like where you burred a property, the buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat property. Mm-hmm. You used short-term money, which was that line of credit to buy it. Uh, you then refinanced it, got paid off your line of credit then. Uh, so now you have a nice long-term loan that cash flows like an ATM machine, this property. I'm sure it does. Do you, do you know, what's your estimate on what you're going to be getting for cash
1: flow? You know, I don't know, actually. I, I That's is right. that sad? I should know. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> but right. off the top of my head, I don't. I have a lot of properties. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact that you're not paying
0: water, sewer, and garbage, it's probably, you already did some work to fix it up. I mean, you got to be cash flowing yeah. hundreds a month per unit. Oh, though, yeah, yeah, like yeah definitely. Months, yeah.
1: Oh, oh, always. Yeah. It pr- at least 400 a month. Yeah, It'll that's... be at least 400 a month for that property. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Very cool, man. All right. Well, with that said, let's get to one of the last questions. Actually, I will ask before we get to the famous four. I got two quick ones. First, uh, where do you see yourself headed in the future? And secondly, mm-hmm. what can our audience bring value to you? How can they bring value to you?
1: Okay. So where I see myself headed in the future is very unique. I am actually starting a program where I hope to use a modified Burr method to help end homelessness in Chattanooga.
0: Really?
1: So I already house homeless in my apartment complexes, but I had this idea. I'm gonna buy properties using investor money who wanna make a difference and a return. Then I'm gonna rehab the properties in partnership with the city of Chattanooga. They'll pay for half the rehab if I agree to rent it out to low-income individuals. Mm. Then I'm going to rent them out to people who are on Section 8 who are homeless or at risk of being homeless. So when someone goes homeless, they often get a Section 8 voucher. Then I put them in the property. At the same time, I'm going to re-educate the tenant. There's a program called the Homeowner FSS Program that Section 8 does, but no one takes advantage of. And it will teach these people how they can achieve their goal of becoming a homeowner over the course of the year. And it incentivizes them because if they increase their income... They don't lose that money like they normally do. Instead, it goes into a pot that they can use as their down payment on a property. Then I'm going to refinance the property, pull my money out. And then hopefully, I'm going to resell the property to that previously homeless individual so they can just buy the house that they're in. So it's a completely kind of shift from what I've been doing, but it's something I'm really passionate about. And hopefully, so I already bought my first property. I'm going to buy 10 next year. And then in the three, course of three years, I'll have 100. I'm going to get 100 in three years. And I'm going to try to see how many people I can successfully put through this program.
0: That's cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, just yesterday, I was walking around and I saw like a kind of a, like a homeless camp out here in Maui. There's not a lot here in Maui, but there was some, and I was like, man, I should be doing more like to try to like, cause like we, we educate so many people on how to be a landlords, but like, yeah, I need to find more ways to give back and try to end homelessness or at least try to limit it. Some, some, yeah. Kudos to you. That's awesome.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah. I'm I'm excited about it. It's not the most profitable thing I can do with my time for sure, Sure. but it will be one of the most rewarding things that I can do with my time. And at this point in my investing career, I don't need more money. I mean, I want to do things profitably because I want this to be a model for other people to then take into their markets and be like, okay, David's doing that. I could do that too. And it won't be the most profitable thing, but it will be a good thing for my community and it will be steady income and it will be a little bit of money. And then I can then grow my career from there.
0: Yeah. That's that's awesome. I think that that is key. Is you want it like you don't want to just think, how do I help? I mean, you can think this, how do I help a dozen people or even a hundred people? But I love that you're thinking, how do I make this scalable? How do I make it profitable enough that it can be scalable? Because if you're just relying on goodwill for scalability, it's very, very, very difficult. Right. So, how do you align like capitalism with uh, humanitarianism? Right. To scale something? I think that's like the, the perfect. Perfect model right there. So, yeah, very cool. And, and Thank how, you. Uh, yeah.
1: And so, how people can, if they want to be involved in that or if they just want to reach out to me on Instagram, I would really appreciate if people go and follow me at DIY underscore landlord on Instagram. I post stuff on there about being a realtor. I mean, not a realtor, a landlord, a real estate investor. Um, and also I'm going to be scaling up this, uh, I call it homeless to homeowner program. So be looking for more about there. And if you have any questions, you can message me on Instagram and I will answer your questions. As long as it's not, do I want to buy uh, foreign currency and <laughs> yeah. crypto? Yeah. You want some Bitcoin? <laughs> no. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, yeah. That's awesome, man. I just followed you as well. So now we're uh, we're Instagram buddies. So with that said. Let's get to the last segment of our show. It's time for our Famous
3: Four.
0: All right, time for the Famous Four, the part of the show where we ask every guest the same four questions every week. David, number one, what's your current favorite real estate-related book?
1: I think my favorite real estate-related book is got to be The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. Mm, It was just such, when I read that book and I still reread it, it's like such good basic concepts in there, like to really, it gives you a good foundation.
2: There we go. What about a favorite business book?
1: Favorite business book. And this is, I don't know if people really think it's a business book. It's a negotiation book, but I think it's the most important thing in business. Never split the difference Mm. by Chris Voss. That, that book has made me more money probably than any other book. It's amazing.
2: That's great. We had him on the podcast. It was really good. Brandon and Josh interviewed him. Yeah. Um, Okay. What about some of your hobbies?
1: Yeah, I I love playing soccer. Since COVID hit, I haven't played in a while. And I just started doing adventure racing. Um,
0: What's that That, like, like, I don't know if if you,
1: okay, so I don't know if you saw Amazon had this, the most difficult race, uh, whatever. Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah. Anyways, where they go all through Fiji, like 10 days, to a race, 10 days through Fiji. So basically I I watched that, the echo challenge and I was like, Oh, I want to do that too. So I found this adventure racing where you run bike and kayak or swim depending, but you also have to navigate at the same time. So you get a map and you have to find your own way through the course. Oh, that's cool. And then it's like crazy long too. So the, I did one, I've only done one so far, but I'm starting, I did a, a 10 hour one and then they have like, a 24 hour one, they have three days, five days. So I'm building my way up. I want to do, there's one that goes across Florida. It's called the C2C and it's three days. So I'm I'm building up to be able to do that.
0: That's awesome. Very cool. All right, man. Well, last question for me. What do you think separates successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or never get started?
1: One, they write down their plan. Two, they're determined to succeed in their plan. And three, they give themselves enough time to achieve it. Mm. Too many times people want to be millionaires overnight. Real estate will turn you into a millionaire, but don't put a, a 10 month time frame on it or a one month time frame. Give yourself a couple of years and I guarantee you'll get there. So write a plan down, determination and, and enough time. And that's what the successful people are doing. I guarantee it.
2: I love it. All right. This has been awesome, David. Thank you very much. For people that want to learn, a little bit more about you, where would you recommend they go?
1: I would recommend that they go to Instagram, DIY underscore landlord and follow me. And I also want to give a big shout out to my other investor friends on Instagram who helped me actually get on the Bigger Pockets podcast. Mm. Uh, Ayoka, Rob, Forrest, and Rebecca, you guys are the best and you actually helped me get on the show. So I am very, very appreciative of them.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you to those four. And with that said, time to get out of here. Thank you, David Grabener. You've been awesome. Can't wait to uh, kind of continue following you on Instagram, see what you're doing, following your journey, learning from you, growing together. That's what's cool about the BiggerPockets communities. We're all like doing this together, learning, growing, helping each other, which is awesome. So if you're not plugged into that world Everyone listening to this you should be you know sign up for a free bigger pockets account and then follow us on social media David green 24 beardy Brandon and DIY underscore landlord it's just a it's a good place to learn while you're yes. looking at cat videos it's great <laughs> all right man well David green you want to get us out of here today Thank you David this is David Baby beard green for
2: Brandon Big Beard Turner <laughs> signing off you're listening to bigger pockets radio